Good morning, and welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS. For nearly seven decades, Champaign-Urbana's daily gathering spot for conversation, dialogue, and ideas. You can join it on the phone, via text, or online. Our phone number is 217-356-9397. Or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Or email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here's your host, Brian Barnhart. And good morning, everybody. It's a penny for your thoughts coming your way on this Wednesday here in the middle of September, September the 14th to be exact. And mostly sunny and nice today, they say, at a high of 81. That's a great forecast, isn't it? Mostly sunny and nice. 81 the high in our forecast tonight, low of 56. 84 tomorrow, and they say in that one, a great day to be outside. (laughs) So... Anyway, wherever you're listening, inside, outside, uh, close by or far away, we're glad you're with us today on A Penny for Your Thoughts. As you've heard, we've got Justice Robert Steigman with us here for both hours. So uh, he'll be taking your phone calls, emails, comments, texts, whatever you've, you've got a legal matter, maybe you need some help on, or you have a question about why this or how that. We can certainly do that with the uh, judge here today. We had Judge Sam Limentado on yesterday. If you missed any of that, you can go to our podcast at WDWS.com. Didn't plan to have two judges on back-to-back, but that's just the way the schedule fell. And uh, we go up to the appellate level here with Justice Steigman here today. So you can join us a variety of ways. Facer Law Office invites you to attend their free seminar, The Seven Secrets You Need to Know to Protect Your Home, Assets, and Family, in Perilous Times, John Thorpe Facer and Facer Law Office at the iHotel and Conference Center. Today at 1.30, reserve your space. Give Facer Law Office a call at 217-337-1111. Stock market back up a little bit today after a 1,200-point drop yesterday. Westminster Hall in London live. They are uh, carrying the Queen's casket to Westminster Hall, where apparently will lie in state for a few days. Her funeral, I think, is scheduled for next uh, Monday, we'll have Seal Otnis on, former University of Illinois professor and a royal watcher-watcher, as she says. She'll join us uh, on the day after the funeral for her thoughts on the Queen and royalty going forward. Terrence Stuber with us tomorrow, the candidate on the Republican side for Champaign County Clerk. That'll be in the 9 o'clock hour tomorrow. Jim Dye with me on Friday. Judge Steigman up next on A Penny for Your Thoughts. Join us. Your thoughts, comments, A Penny for Your Thoughts today on this Wednesday. Nine twelve. if you need some lunch, Monocle's Pizza in Tolono. If you're thinking about lunch today, now's a good time to start thinking about it. Just off Route 45, they've got great pizza. Of course, it's the original Monocle's. They have more than pizza, though, sandwiches and pasta and breadsticks and salad, whatever you'd like. You can do it quick, come in and out. You can spend time with friends, however you want to do it. It's your choice. Monocle's Pizza in Tolono. All right, 913 on this Wednesday. We have the uh, table set here for Justice Robert Steigman. How are you, sir? Terrific, Brian. Good. It's always good to be here. Two days in a row with judges. Yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) I heard uh, Sam Lamentato, and uh, he uh, really... I thought uh, answered questions very well, explained uh, his job very well, and uh, from everything I hear, he's doing a wonderful job, and uh, 
It reminds me that uh, now retired Justice Rita Garman, who's selected him, has really done a wonderful job over the last 20 years of choosing people who are going to be serving not just on the trial court throughout the 4th District, but the appellate court. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been one of the chief beneficiaries of that because uh, for many years there were seven members on the uh, 4th District Appellate Court, and only two of them, uh, Jim Connect from Bloomington and me, aren't there as a result of the selection of Rita Garman, but they're all wonderful colleagues, and mm. uh, they've been wonderful to work with. Lisa Holder-White, for instance, who has now been appointed to fill Justice Garman's vacancy in the Supreme Court, <clears throat> was one of those people. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed with the best job in the world, made even better by having wonderful colleagues who do great mm-hmm. work and are wonderful to work with. I think we've got a great roster of judges yes. in Champaign County. We've had a complete turnover there. Well, yeah. in the last five years, <clears throat> that's that's really been the case, and uh, uh, we have some very good people now on the bench. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, this is my home county, so I've been watching this now for <laughs> 50 years, and I'm very impressed. Well, the other uh, judicial news was uh, Ann Burke announcing that uh, she's going to step down here by the yes. end of November, I guess. You and, know her uh, pretty I, well. And- I, I think she's done a very fine job as uh, Chief Justice. She is really a very interesting person. She went to law school late in life, and uh, when she was a young woman, she was the one who really was the spark for Special Olympics back in the 60s. Well, I think she was 21, 20 or 21, uh, which started right here in uh, Chicago, and it, uh, that would be enough for anyone's credit. It <clears throat> reminds me of Tim Nugent, who, uh, as one guy, changed the world. He was the fellow who came up with the whole push for uh, we have to be able to deal with uh, injured soldiers and other people of injuries uh, are in wheelchairs or otherwise handicapped, and let them go to college, and we should provide for uh, schooling for them. And... This one guy, I mean, Tim Nugent, really made all the difference in the world. It was his persistence and power Mm -hmm. of uh, persuasion. And uh, as I mentioned before, I lived that. Uh, In 1961 to 65, when I enrolled on campus here, I lived in Garner Hall on the first floor. This was the old men's residence halls, became referred to as six-pack. And on the first floor, we had the, uh, as they called themselves, the GIMPs. It was the GIMPs and the ABs, the able bodies. And the GIMPs were primarily kids in wheelchairs, either from spinal cord injuries or from polio. And uh, I <clears throat> lived with those folks, and we had probably a third of our first floor uh, residents at any time were the GIMPs. And... Uh, I marveled at uh, what they were able to achieve, and uh, mm-hmm. I thought the University of Illinois, to its great credit, uh, was the first to do this, and for a long time, we were the only ones. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, one advantage is we're flat, so that's mm-hmm. how it could start. But we now see how uh, all the curbing at the end of curbs, it's, it's now goes down. That all started here. That mm-hmm. started with Tim Nugent. At because, the University of Illinois. Yes, yeah. because people uh, <clears throat> in wheelchairs had difficulties with curbs. There was no need for it. But in any event, uh, you know, it, people, there are individuals who have really changed the world. And 
and Burke, to her credit, before she uh, even got involved in law, had done that. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, uh, two recent uh, women who have retired, Ann Burke and Rita Garman, yes. uh, women in the judicial yes. field at the time they started, that was a little well, bit of an... Uh, and it was really, you know, it's, it's funny, you have to think about, uh, <clears throat> now the term is microaggressions and... Uh, uh, imagine slights. There was no need for women back in the day to imagine slights. Uh, they uh, they were not welcome. Uh, and I think it was Rita who said, uh, a law school professor said, why are you here? You're taking the spot from some man and you're just mm-hmm. going to get married, etc. And in my class in 1968, graduating from the U of I College of Law, there were three women out of mm-hmm. about 170 students. Mm-hmm. Well, that's some of the recent uh, judicial news here with Justice Robert Steigman. 217-356-9397 is our number. Text line at 217-351-5357. And you can email us, talk, at wdws.com. I know you always have a stack of stuff. Oh, yes. Uh, there's some news in the paper today, too, about a couple of cases. One where there was they thought they didn't have evidence, and then it turns out there was some voice messages or whatever that left in one story. Involving a hammer and a shooting, a man of his and his daughter. Well, allegedly. that's you know was, to the extent not commenting necessarily in that case, but <clears throat> it 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 just goes to show, uh, assuming there's merit to it, that uh, intensive, careful investigation is really uh, appropriate. Uh, that you sometimes things require. It's not like the half-hour show on TV mm-hmm. where they uh, get all neatly wrapped up. Um, for instance, there was this case uh, in Champaign recently where I think it was Detective Rob Morris who worked on it for years and involved uh, uh, four people who were charged with murder from years ago. And he was just one of several people on it. But uh, that kind of careful dedication and scrutiny and working on it uh, to gather the evidence to bring charges is really the hallmark of uh, law enforcement when it's it's working well, when you have dedicated people doing it. It sometimes can be a very frustrating job, but you can't lose patience and you have to continue to pursue it. Uh, I remember sometimes when I was a prosecutor and working with police, uh, we were trying to build cases and uh, talking to them about how we needed something more, you know, and, and what else they might be able to get. And uh, I, I remember being very impressed with uh, their diligence and their dedication and how, especially the detectives and investigators on long-line cases, you you want to, if you think you got the right guy, continue to probe and to see what other evidence might mm-hmm. turn up. And that patience and hard work pays yes. off. Uh, 920. One other thing I was going to ask you about, Judge Limitado talked about this yesterday, was search warrants. Yes. And judges signing off on search warrants. And, of course, the big one has been the one with the former President Trump. But uh, oh, yes. he told me some on air and some off about different situations he's been in where he's been somewhere and he's been approached by law enforcement or whoever to sign off on a search warrant. Well, I thought yeah, it was pretty interesting. It, it, it was very well done. I would want to talk about that, too. <clears throat> I have some interesting search warrants stories as well. Yeah. <clears throat> but let me begin by talking about the Fourth Amendment. Mm-hmm. That's really where it comes from, because this is uh, the Fourth Amendment Constitution is essentially the guide on how this is to work. 
and this is what it says, the, pe- the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue. Here's the warrant clause. No warrant shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and here's a key phrase, and particularly describing the place to be seized and the person, persons or things to be seized. Particularly describing. So you have to describe what it is you want to seize and where you're going. You have to, the police, this goes back to our history where the Brits, before our revolution, had sometimes what's known as general warrants. Uh, And it was uh, a warrant authorizing uh, the police or the British Army to go search uh, Brian Barnhart and wherever he might be and see what might be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn't want that. We didn't want any more general warrants. So the particularly describing the police to be searched and the person or things to be seized. Now, um, <clears throat> as a judge, as a prosecutor, when I worked with uh, police, I used to have to prepare uh, search warrants. I Actually, what's called a complaint for search warrant. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. You would submit that to a judge and it would set forth under oath the reasons why a search warrant should issue. And one of the glories of our Constitution, it's hardly anywhere else, Brian, I mean mm-hmm. literally in the world, is uh, your home is your castle. And the police, even if they think you're a crook, can't enter unless they get a search warrant from a judge. A neutral magistrate is the phrase. So... Uh, I'd have to prepare it as a prosecutor to make sure I had demonstrated probable cause to enter. And then as a judge, I'd be evaluating these things as well. <clears throat> and um, what's interesting, and I, I want to talk about some of my own experiences, but uh, talking about uh, the Trump business, uh, I looked at, <clears throat> after a search warrant is executed, there's what's called a return of the search warrant, where the police agencies executing the search warrant come up with a list of things seized and file that with the court. That's And I've, I've done that, and I've seen it hundreds of times maybe. Mm-hmm. I looked at the return of search warrant in this case, filed by the FBI. <clears throat> and I don't pretend to know much about either the warrant itself or what's behind it, though digressing for a moment, I don't like the fact that there are all these leaks coming out from the federal government, mm-hmm. the Department of Justice. The The important thing for the Department of Justice is say nothing. You speak in court. You don't leak to reporters. But digressing and leaving that for a moment, <clears throat> one of the things I noticed is there were uh, about 30 separate items where they talked about what was seized from a box in uh, a storage room or a box in a bedroom. And 1,673 separate items were described, this is a quote, as, quote, magazines, newspapers, press articles, and other printed media. Now, pausing right there, first, was that, particularly described in the search warrant that uh, sees magazines, newspapers, press article, and other printed media. And if, see, if I'm the judge asked to be issuing the search warrant and it's supposed to particularly describe it, I'd say, why do you want that? What, how is this probative of anything? 
and again, this isn't these aren't papers or documents belonging to Trump. This is their magazines and newspapers. Hmm. 1,673 separate items are listed under this heading, magazines, newspapers, press articles, and other printed media. I have no idea how that can, number one, why they seized it. I can't, I haven't been able to see the warrant yet Mm -hmm. that says what you're particularly describing it. Uh, So that's a a troubling aspect. The other point about this I want to make, I heard Tom Bruno last week, and I've known Tom for a long time, and he's a very sharp guy and a very good uh, trial lawyer and very experienced. Uh, And he mentioned something about how, uh, and it was true, how uh, on search warrants uh, frequently the police are asked to pick up um, personal papers or things like passports Passports or bills. Mm -hmm. And he's right, but his inference is totally wrong. Let me explain how this works. If the cops think that there's contraband, drugs or guns or something in a particular apartment where they have uh, an informant who's been in there and says, I bought drugs there and I saw other drugs, they go to a judge and get a search warrant to search that apartment or that house. And they think John Smith is the guy behind all this. But when they execute the search warrant, they find lots of drugs. They find lots of contraband, felony contents. But John Smith isn't there. So what they want to do is they want to build a case for constructive possession. What does that mean? That means that even though John Smith wasn't there when we found the stuff, he is this is his place, so he is constructively responsible for it because he lives there, he has access to it, he controls it. In other words, this is a common sense assessment. Hmm. How do you do that? Well, one of the ways you do it is find out what indicia of ownership does John Smith have within. For instance, if there's a power bill addressed to John Smith at that address, if you can find a driver's license or something else, John Smith at that address, or you can find uh, a passport, John Smith at that address. So what happens, and I've seen lots of search warrants like this, is you say, and seize any indicia of, of ownership. Okay, well, that was uh, Tom Bruno's explanation of why they're seizing the passport. But in context, it makes no sense because there's no spot on earth that needs less proof of ownership than Mar-a-Lago belonging to Donald Trump. So how in the world would you be seizing passports of Donald Trump, assuming you come across them, to what end? Now, again, remember it's supposed to particularly describe the items to be seized. I just quoted from the Fourth Amendment. I have trouble believing that the search warrant listed and the judge approved seizes passports. So I suspect what happened is the uh, agents just did it themselves, like the 1,673 items of newspapers and magazines. What's that all about? So when we're talking about the return and the post-search warrant activities, I'd like to see more of this because there are lots of explanations that need to be coming. And by the way, none of this has to do with what the investigation is regarding Trump, what alleged crimes he may have committed. This is just procedural stuff pertaining to search warrants, how they should be executed, and how they should be justified. Mm. Justice Steinman with us here for both hours on A Penny for Your Thoughts, 929. Let me get a break in. We've got news headlines coming up. 
at the bottom of the hour, and he's got his stack of stuff. We'll dig into some of that as we go. Your comments welcome as well. Questions for the judge, Justice Robert Steigman with us on Penny. Two one seven three five six nine three nine seven is our phone number. Justice Robert Steigman with us for both hours. A lot of texts have come in. Let me get to those two as we go. But a couple of uh, search warrant stories. Yes, you say you've issued hundreds, right? I, I yeah. really have. Yeah. Uh, the uh, during the time I was a trial judge, and uh, <clears throat> a couple of my stories. One of the I think folks might find most interesting. There were t- times when. Uh, the police would have informants who would uh, give them information and would be the basis for the issuance of a search warrant. And you could use an assumed named uh, affiant on a search warrant as long as they actually appear. They could say, I, Donald Duck, but they're here in front of the judge. And uh, they didn't want anyone else to find out who they were. And sometimes late at night, they would come to my, the, the cops would call me up and say, we have a search warrant. And the affiant is uh, one of these informants, and I'd say, and they understood, I don't want him at my house. I live over in Urbana. So I said, I'll tell you what, this is when Kmart was still operating in Urbana on Filo Road. I'll meet you in the Kmart parking lot. So on several occasions at 2.30 in the morning, I drive up to the Kmart parking lot, and there's a police car, uh, unmarked squad car uh, with uh, the affiant in the back. And it was a further example of, Court is wherever the judge is. <laughs> so I'd get into the back seat of the squad car and I'd say, uh, what's the, let me see the draft complaint and the proposed search warrant. And I'd read it over and I'm looking at this guy and, uh, <clears throat> sometimes I'd even ask him some additional questions. And if he had answered it because I thought that might be necessary, I'd write it in to the complaint for search warrant. I'd swear him to it. And then I'd issue the search warrant and uh, go back to my car and drive back home uh, six, seven blocks away. But uh, as I say, I didn't want these guys in my house in the yeah. middle of the night. And uh, though sometimes I would have, if it if it were just the police who were going to be the affiants on the search warrants, you know, they were welcome to come in and offer them coffee or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it's it's one of those duties of judges that judges must undertake and must use scrutiny on because, you know, this isn't a technicality. This is uh, Washington, Madison, Franklin, and all that gang. This mm-hmm. was put in the um, uh, Constitution to protect citizens. Uh, and uh, I've often spoken about the First Amendment as being the crown jewel of our uh, Constitution and the protections it provides and how we have to protect it for freedom of speech and religion and all that. But the Fourth Amendment is pretty close. There are very few nations in the world where police, if they have reasonable grounds to think that uh, contraband is in someone's house, they need to consult a neutral magistrate to get permission to enter. Pretty much everywhere in the world, they just go. Yeah, just go in. Just go in, and uh, you Mm. better not get in their way. Yeah, and you uh, mentioned you started the practice of having all the search warrants run through the state's attorney's office. Yes, as a matter of fact, it was in uh, when I started here in the early 70s, I talked to the judges and I talked to the police, and I said, because this is a time when if a search warrant wasn't technically valid, uh, you could make a motion to quash and to suppress the evidence seek. So we're talking about it better be valid and you better make sure it's technically accurate. And I told the police, 
you know, you guys are investigating, but let me work on this because it's supposed to be my job to make sure that it is legally correct. And as a result, uh, we started having all search warrants funneled through the state's attorney's office before they'd ever go to a judge. That's not technically required, but it's just sound practice. And to my understanding, when I was a judge for 12 years here in Champaign County, I would never entertain a complaint for search warrant that hadn't gone through the state's attorney's office first. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Uh, Chris is with us here with Justice Robert Steigman. Hi, Chris. Um, thanks for taking my call. Judge, sure. here's the hypothetical. Um, a lawyer is arguing a case before a judge, and that lawyer has made a significant campaign contribution to that judge. So my question is, is that legal, ethical, and should the judge recuse himself when they've accepted a campaign donation from a lawyer who's arguing a case before them? Well, the answer is there's no prohibition against doing so. It's a quite, recusal is an entirely personal matter. That is, uh, <clears throat> uh, if uh, a judge feels compromised or uneasy or, you know, we judges are fungible. By that I mean uh, there are lots of judges and it's not my case as a judge. It's the party's case. And uh, if there's someone... Uh, well, good example, the Dave Wilson case back in 1980 when he was suing to play in the NC2A, uh, and uh, Bob Aller brought a lawsuit on his behalf. The case was assigned to me, just randomly. That's how it worked out. And I looked at this case, and I said, and the chief Illini stuff all over my uh, office and uh, my season ticket, I said, there's no way I can be an impartial person in this case. And uh, with some regret, I recused myself and said, I can't uh, hear this case. Uh, now, that's an extreme example. But uh, to answer your question directly, uh, there are lots of people who, during the course of a campaign, judges or others, might have given uh, uh, up to a few hundred dollars or something for a campaign because they support a particular judge. In my sense, I don't think that would make any difference. Uh, if you're talking about uh, a, a particular lawyer who donated $25,000 to a judge's campaign, that might be different, and that might be a reason for a particular judge to say, there's no uh, ethical reason against this, but it might look bad, and therefore I shouldn't hear it. Okay, thank you for coming. All right, sure. hey, thank you, Chris. You wanted to comment on the Queen, <clears throat> yes. passing of the Queen. and Yeah, we had two events that recently happened that I... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I want to comment on and how other people have commented on it because sometimes we lose track of just some crazy leftist thinking. And here's an example. <clears throat> this is from a critical race theory professor from Carnegie Mellon University regarding Queen Elizabeth's death. These are quotes. Professor Uja Anya is an anti-racist teacher and associate professor at the Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Uh, she is a modern language teacher, and this is what she wrote, quote, in her tweet, I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating, unquote. Mm. She then expanded on this theme by adding this, that wretched woman and her bloodthirsty throne have effed generations of my ancestors on both sides of the family, and she supervised the government that sponsored the genocide my parents and siblings survived. May she die in agony. 
unquote. By the way, tuition at Carnegie Mellon University is $59,000 per year for undergraduates so they can get the benefit of the wisdom of professors like uh, Uja Enya. Mm. And yeah. the other thing I want to that, That's pretty rare. I mean, most people have been very well, complimentary of the queen. Well, yes. But this is not an exception on this particular group of anti-racist thinking mm. uh, that is now predominating on campus. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard of uh, Washington uh, Congressperson Pramila Jayapel. We okay. just she's uh, part of the squad, right? She's part of the squad, yeah. and mm-hmm. she. We just uh, had the uh, remembrances for nine eleven. And this is what she wrote. She tweeted, "Today we remember the twenty nine hundred and ninety six people who were killed in nine eleven, and all those who lost their lives while serving our country in the forever wars that followed." So, at first blush, it seems like a nice gesture, until you do the math. There were 2,977 victims in those attacks. Where did the extra 19 come from? The extra 19 whose deaths he observed would include the terrorists mm. who caused the death and carnage. The terrorists who were uh, took over those planes and flew two planes into the tower and one that was going to be flown into the Capitol, but that uh, the passengers rebelled and wound up, everyone died in uh, the fields of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Hmm. So, by the way, her team pulled this tweet down after it appeared. But let's pause for a moment and and stop and think, what kind of a person, in observing the terrible events of 9-11, would memorialize the killers, the terrorists, who were part of, not part, who caused it all, who killed all these other people. Hmm. Interesting. All right, two observations from two uh, recent events. We did just pass the uh, 21st anniversary of 9-11. 9.46, back with Justice Robert Steigman. Your phone calls and texts coming up here as we continue. Stay with us. 9.49, on a penny for your thoughts, News Talk 1400, DWS, with Justice Robert Steinman up until 11. By the way, we had several questions off air and on about the volleyball match tonight. It is at 7 o'clock. Uh, originally on some of the schedules, it came out saying 6, uh, but it is 7. If you check uh, fightingalini.com now, it says 7 p.m. So sorry about the confusion there because I know some printed documents had it at 6 and others had it at 7. Uh, so it'll be 7 o'clock, 6.45 pregame show tonight here on DWS. All right, just wanted to make sure you understood that. 9.49 here with Justice Robert Steigman. Back to the phones to Rich. Hi, Rich. Go ahead. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, I just want to tell you how much I I really admire you and the show that you put on every day as just being an incredible service to the community by providing the forum that it does. Um the judge read earlier the fourth amendment and it's a kind of a curiosity in my mind how in our technology age particularly with young people their entire lives are recorded on their smartphones and i've personally been in business for many many years i have probably five or six thousand contacts in my contact list on my phone 
you know, it's, there's so much of our lives that are recorded, you know, in these, in these uh, digital devices. But the Fourth Amendment, you know, says that if you're going to issue a warrant, that, that it has to particularly describe the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So my question is to the judge, if a warrant is issued to seize a person's cell phone, with the vast repository of, of personal and private information that is, you know, contained in that in the data on that cell phone, how does that satisfy the Fourth Amendment's requirement to describe the things to be seized when they're vacuuming up everything? Well, it's that's an excellent question, and the Supreme Court, to its credit, has addressed it fairly recently, and uh, it used to be. And it still is a doctrine, leaving aside cell phones for a moment, that if someone is arrested, um, let's assume uh, the police capture a guy fleeing a burglary at 2 in the morning and he's arrested, uh, there's a doctrine known as search incident to an arrest, where uh, having arrested him, they can literally search every aspect of his person and take his wallet and see what's inside it and and anything else, any papers or effects on him. And then the question comes up, well, what if he has a cell phone? Uh, is that to be treated the same? And the Supreme Court of the United States said no, because cell phones are now entirely different. And they talked about how the, the court acknowledged that the cell phones contain so much more information, are so extensive, and people are using it as a repository of um, all aspects of their lives, <clears throat> that what happens using the inform the example I gave you is the police may seize the cell phone, but they may not uh, try to access the information on it unless they seek to get a search warrant from a judge authorizing them to do so. And when we're talking about particularly describing uh, the things to be seized, uh in the example I gave you, I don't think they would have any basis to do that. But let's assume <clears throat> we have a guy who uh, we think is involved in drug sales. What can happen then? And he sees his cell phone, and I've seen some cases along this line since, uh, the Supreme Court decision. Uh, the uh, search warrant says uh, to search his cell phone for uh, conversations or communications which are indicative of the business of selling drugs, and they have. And uh, there's a question of how much specificity do you need? Excuse me, specificity yes. do you need? <laughs> he uh, said, yeah. You, uh, yeah, easy for you to say, Brad. It's, uh, sure. Namely, uh, you, you don't need to say conversations with uh, John Smith. You just need to, I think, describe conversations of a particular kind and, of course, one of the difficulties is, uh, in order to find that, you'd have to look through uh, the cell phone to see what conversations there are, but this would be an authorization to do so. So your general concern about cell phones being different and additional protections being provided has now been recognized by the U.S. Supreme Court as a protection afforded through the Fourth Amendment. Judge, am I still on? Yeah, mm -hmm. go ahead. So I just have a hypothetical. Let's say over the course of, you know, decades of doing business and networking, being members of, you know, civic organizations and chambers of commerce and every other thing, I have thousands of contacts on my phone. 
And let's just say one person out of all those thousands of people that I encountered over decades is involved in some type of criminal activity. And so they see that person's cell phone, which actually has my name in their contact list. So what kind of exposure does the average individual have being linked by, you know, agencies uh, seeking, you know, pathways to investigation? You know, it's it's a it's a I believe it's a, it's a very fearful thing that that, you know, guilt by association just by your contact list on your phone is a problem that we're not really uh, addressing your comments. Well, I don't think it would be that bad. I think uh, uh, typically if this guy were involved in some kind of criminal activity and your name appeared in his phone, uh, the likelihood is the police might wonder who are you and why are you there and are you involved in criminal activity as well, that your name appearing in his phone certainly would not be enough by itself to authorize uh, a search or arrest warrant of you. Uh, either your house or your phone without anything further because for the reasons you just said, uh, a judge receiving this information would say, so what? I mean, maybe uh, there's information about the president of the Chamber of Commerce on there as well because he's someone that this person otherwise does legitimate business with. So I don't think uh, uh, you are risk at risk of having your phone seized or your privacy affected just because your name appeared on someone else's phone. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for your comments, too. Appreciate you listening. Uh, Pat is up next. Hi, Pat. Hi, Brian. How you doing? Good. Okay. I don't know whether the question or statement I am wanting to talk about pertains to what the judge is discussing now. But I have a concern about the young children that are being beaten on the MTV on the MTV bus by other young children. What can be done? Hmm. Well, people who are abusing kids on buses should be uh, uh, arrested. There should be efforts made, uh, and I think the MTD buses have film of it. Uh, complaints should be made by. Uh, the kids or the parents, and uh, if, especially if there's film showing it, uh, there should be uh, efforts made to uh, prosecute the people who are doing it. I share your concerns. Well, uh, it, this this it, shouldn't it, be permitted. It's young children doing it. It's young children doing well, beating on mm-hmm. the other young children. Should they be kicked off and not be allowed to ride on the Well, I, I, I don't know what the appropriate response is, but it ought to be called to the attention of the police and MTD and the schools. And uh, uh, if the, if these kids are that young, maybe they're not subject to being prosecuted. But certainly some steps should be taken to protect the passengers who are being abused or beaten. All right. Hey. There was two, there was two items in the crime report just this past week in the paper on the same day, two mm. different incidents. Mm. Well, yeah. that, it should, be, it should be pursued by the authorities. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. Thank you, Pat. Appreciate your phone call. Uh, real quick, uh, let's see here. Your guest just re- let's see. Okay, that covered the cell phones. Uh, by the way, it says the magazines and newspapers of Trump's. Of course, it's media, but it was reported classified documents were hidden in those items. Somebody says. Well, you see, <clears throat> two things. One, where would that come from? That well, why have, is that being leaked? Yeah, that, that would have to be leaked. And the second thing is, what I just referred to is the official return 
by the FBI of the search warrant. So uh, if there were classified documents within the uh, uh, 1,673 separate items, this is a quote described as magazines, newspapers, press articles, or other printed media, why didn't the return say so? Yeah. Why did it, it say should, it needs to say that? Yeah. Why yeah. did it say uh, magazines, newspapers, press articles, or other printed media in which classified documents were located? Yeah. Did they forget? <laughs> so somebody's speculating. No, I think this. A, uh, I think this is what happens when we have um, governments involved in leaks and uh, all kinds of other nonsense, uh, and you can see why I'm skeptical. Uh, the FBI, in its return, literally could have put in anything it thought appropriate to describe to the judge what they seized. And you would think if there were classified documents, which are part of their investigation, located within this news media and newspaper articles, they could have. And wouldn't they have said so? You would think so. You would think so. All right. Well, that's it for the first hour. Flew by. <laughs> oh, yes. So, well, zipped right by. The uh, second hour is coming up, so stay with us here on A Penny for Your Thoughts with Justice Robert Steigman up until 11. WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. More on the Queen's procession from CBS. WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. It's the second hour of A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM, WDWS. You can join in on the phone, via text, or online. Our phone number is 217-356-9397. Or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Or send an email to talk at wdws.com. Now, here again, Brian Barnhart. Welcome back. Hour number two of A Penny for Your Thoughts. Adam Austin, our producer today. Our news at the top of the hour was brought to you by Blaine's Farm and Fleet, your ag headquarters, helping you get the job done right with farm supplies and equipment, fencing, feed, and more, Wisconsin-based and family-owned since 1955. Facer Law Office invites you to attend their free seminar, Seven Secrets You Need to Know to Protect Your Home, Assets, and Family in Perilous Times. Join Thorpe Facer and Facer Law Office at the I-Hotel and Conference Center today at one thirty, Reserve your space. Call the Facer Law Office, 217-337-1111. All right, some uh, various topics here that came in during the course of the uh, first hour. Uh, can the judge please explain the Workers' Rights Amendment and why it's a bad idea and should be defeated? Well, I don't know that much about it. I... Um this is really a political question being submitted to the voters. I have my own personal views about it, but I don't think it's something that I can or should express a view. And the voters, as they vote on other things, can look it over and talk to other people and make up their own minds whether they want to vote for it or not. But I think it's one of those subjects I should take a pass. Okay. Uh, and that's rare for you to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. So we, it is. Uh, <laughs> Political issue. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, can the judge talk about the Safety Act that will go into effect in January? This has to do with the cash bonds, <clears throat> no cash bonds, and so forth. Well, yeah. uh, again, uh, there. Are, <clears throat> this is creating lots of problems for the judiciaries. They're trying to figure it out, um, and uh, there are uh, 
uh, efforts being made <clears throat> now I know of uh, judges trying to figure out what can they do and how can they do it and uh, by police officers. And uh, what I can say is uh, I was asked by Jeff D'Alessio to respond to this. I'm going to be sending it to him later today. Leaving aside the merits, the process was awful. And it was irresponsible. And uh, In the legislature. The legislation. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> my first job, Brian, was working for the Legislative Reference Bureau right out of law school in 1968. And I saw firsthand uh, the care and the scrutiny which is given to uh, legislative proposals. And uh, in particular, the legislative committee hearings where people – uh, proponents and opponents would have a specific bill with specific language for a specific proposal, which would be subject to arguments and amendments and changes and questions and all that. <clears throat> and it really works pretty well. And then in the 80s, as you know, I proposed lots of my own legislation, uh, a couple of them, for instance, amending the homicide laws in Illinois, pretty serious stuff, changing the rules on death penalty, or excuse me, on um, uh, when someone says uh, not guilty by reason of insanity and some other technical things. And again, that stuff all went through careful legislative screening. I appeared in front of dozens of legislative committees at which each sentence, each word was scrutinized and questioned and we had to explain it. And uh, oftentimes as a result of this discussion, I wound up revising legislative proposals I made to make sure that they were more clear, to make sure that they achieved the goals they wanted to achieve. This is how things should work. Nothing like this happened, uh, and it was awful. It was a disgrace. Uh, a 730-page bill was submitted at 4 o'clock in the morning in the last day of a lame duck session and said, vote on it. Yeah. And uh, they did, and uh, it reminded me of... Uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi's infamous line about uh, the Obamacare proposal. Well, we have to pass it to find out what's in what's it, in it. Yeah. which is the height of uh, malfeasance by legislators. And, you know, the people who pushed this through said, well, we had hearings on it. We talked about this proposal, but that's bunk, and here's why. Because as I know, and I'm trying to communicate to the listeners, that's not how the legislative process works. It's not your musings uh, in public, or even if you have musings uh, at legislative hearings, the legislative process works when you have a specific bill containing specific language that supposedly is going to achieve specific results, and that's what has to be scrutinized. That what's that's what needs to be studied and have input and have committee hearings on. None of that happened on a 750-page bill that has massive effects. So. Leaving aside for the moment uh, all the discussion about what do we do now and all that, what I want to make sure is to communicate it was irresponsible and it was reckless the way it was handled. It's contrary to normal practices, and the legislators who did this should be embarrassed. All right, back to the phones. Justice Robert Steinman with us here up till 11. Kent, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Uh, Judge... I got a question. Um, I, I have Parkinson's, and anyways, I went to visit my mom at a funeral home in Arizona last year. My brother has power of attorney, which is good for my mom. But 
He had me removed from the uh, funeral home last year while, and I had to leave the funeral home and get on a bus and come back to Champaign and took like 50 hours on the bus. Mm-hmm. It was very hard. Now you mean you but mean anyway, a you mean a nursing home, right, Ken? Or yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, yeah. I actually just got out of Accolade Nursing Home in Paxton. Okay. So I was going to visit my mom. I see. But okay. Anyways, my brother, I call mom every day, and now my brother won't allow me to call my mother. He's rigged it, it rigged the phone to where it goes straight to voicemail. And um, she's very old, and I know she's very upset that she can't talk to me. And the, the um, funeral home, I mean, the uh, nursing home is in cahoots with my brother, and they won't, uh, when I call there, they just give me the run around. I well, let, let me just cut to the chase. It sounds like you have a serious uh, intra-family uh, problem here, and I can I sympathize with your concerns. Uh, when things like this arise, I can't give you any advice over uh, the radio on what you can do, but uh, the advice I always say is you must uh, get legal counsel to help you figure this out and to protect the rights you have that might be being infringed here about access to your mother or under other circumstances. I don't know if you can afford to hire an attorney. You ought to contact attorney and see what one says or it's possible legal aid might be able to help you out but this is something where you need to uh your your situation will not be resolved until you are able to obtain legal counsel all right thank you Kent. thank you so much thank sure. you Pre- so much yep appreciate you being with us 217-356-9397 is our number uh texture says so you think an ex-president can take top secret documents away from the White House so he can hold them hostage for personal gain. Is that what I said, Brian? <laughs> uh, you know, do we want to play the tape back? I, I mean, you know, this is the kind of nonsense that uh, people come up with. Uh, uh, and it's it's really kind of shocking. Uh, talk about listening to what you want to hear. As a matter of fact, I specifically declined to comment anything about the merits of this, about which I know nothing. Yeah. Uh, but what I want to say is, and I go back to the caller who said there were uh, top secret documents stuck in there. Is, 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 in the newspaper article. In the newspapers. You know, if I'm the judge receiving this r- return and I see 1,600-some uh, documents uh, or media articles and newspaper articles, I'm going to wonder about this and say, how is this uh, permissible under this warrant? And going back to that other caller or commenter said, oh, well, the, the leak is, of course, that's where it comes from, that there were uh, uh, apparently confidential or secure matters in there. The, uh, clearly, the FBI filling out this document, if they thought that was the case or if that was true, would have put it in there. Yeah. They would have mentioned, oh, by the way, these media, these newspaper articles had within it this uh, secure or confidential documents the fact that they did it is the best evidence that it's bunk and that people are buying this leak stuff and they ought to be wondering why they're so gullible. All right, back to the phones. Rick is up next. Hi, Rick. Uh, good morning. Good morning. I'll just state my question and get off the phone here. I wanted to, something I've never understood, and I'm sure the judge has answered this many times, I just missed it. In regards to the Fourth Amendment, the search and seizure, how in the world do they seize people's property like suspected drug money or cars or things like that without warrants and, and things i just 
can't believe it ever happens, and I'd like an answer. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Rick. Well, <clears throat> typically, um, they they get search warrants if they um, uh, want to search particularly homes. But the, there's, there's a doctrine, I, as I explained earlier, two doctrines that are involved here. The first is search incident to an arrest. So if someone is being arrested for something else, uh, for instance, if you're driving a car and you're speeding and you're stopped, and it turns out you have no driver's license or your driver's license has been revoked, that's a full custodial arrest. The police are now going to arrest you. When they arrest you, they have the authority under the law to conduct a search incident to an arrest, as I explained earlier, where you're, anything on your person can be searched. And if there's contraband, what does contraband mean? It means an illegal substance or something that is evidence of some other crime. If you have contraband on your person, the police can seize it. Uh, this is sometimes known as the plain view doctrine, where the, the police are lawfully in a position to be, and they come across contraband, and typically uh, drugs, uh, the illegal uh, controlled substances would meet that, uh, the police can seize it without a search warrant. Uh, this, the question is, are they lawfully where they can be? For instance, if they... Uh, stop your car and uh, they're conducting a search of it because, uh, going back to my example, you're the only person in the car, you're arrested, the car's going to be towed. That's what's called an inventory search. The, the police, when they tow the car, will take it to a police yard and they can now search the car at least to conduct an inventory search. They might have other bases to do it as well. But if during the course of that inventory search they encounter illegal substances, they encounter contraband, they may seize it and use it, and that could be the basis of other charges to be brought against you. Hmm. All right, back to the phones here before break. John is with us. Hi, John. Hi, good morning, Brian. Good morning, Your Honor. Good morning. I like watching Fox News uh, a lot of times because I like getting the talking points. Now, I noticed they use CPR a lot, and with it was a study. Say it's that again, John. Theory. They use what again? CTR. They oh. call it critical race theory. Race theory, okay. And it was a study done in a, a university lab. But now they're taking these words and they're, they're putting it out in the community like it's going crazy. Uh, during slavery time, a lot of the my ancestors didn't use the word wake. They used woke. They had to look out for slave masters, other slaves, and that's where that word came from. It died off during the Civil War, but everybody kept that word quiet within the black community until the the, uh, the singer Lead Belly brought it back out. And now all of a sudden here it is, 2000 and something, and we're still using that word, but we use it against people of color. It's just like, you know, when they use the word CTR, critical race theory. They have to think about what they're saying because actually you're putting yourself in a trick bag. You're hiding the, the history of a, a person of color. Now, if they said it was, uh, would I be upset if they said it was uh, Caucasian race theory? That's, you know, it's, it's, I didn't turn it on them, so but they're turning it on us by telling us that we're teaching children of non-color that they're bad. Well, I don't know anything about what you're referring to. I've never heard uh, any of this discussion before, and uh, I have no comment on it. Very well. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you, John. Uh, 217-356-9397, MX Electric. Our man Max is the owner there. You can give him a call. 
217-359-7293. Works on residential and commercial projects. Uh, did a little work down at my uh, dad's place, my brother's place a little bit here recently uh, with some lighting around the barn. Uh, did some help with that. Uh, can be anywhere. Anywhere you've got electrical need, uh, whether you need a generator or some outdoor lighting for Christmas or the holidays or whatever. Some people really get into Halloween lighting. You can do that. MX Electric, they do big jobs, small jobs, jobs in between. 217-359-7293. We'll talk about election deniers. How about that? Next, here on A Penny for Your Thoughts. Ten twenty-six. We're approaching uh, eighty-one degrees for the high today. Working our way up there as we speak, down to fifty-six tonight. Uh, Champaign City Council last night, by the way, approved the McKinley uh, Field game, the one game coming up on the twenty-fourth uh, of September. So for Champaign Central, uh, victory there, I think, for the uh, young people, the football players, and the team. It's a one-game deal. It was 5-3 uh, to three was the vote last night. You can read about that in the News Gazette. Justice Robert Steigman, hear a lot about election deniers or denying yes. the 2020 election. So. Well, uh, my point here is two points. The first is to talk about how the media is playing the public for chumps with uh, talking about this election deniers stuff, and then uh, to give some further background on it. Regarding the media, you see it all the time in the media with regard to uh, asking Republican candidates, do you uh, agree with President Trump that the 2000 election was stolen? As if this is anything to do with uh, their campaign or their election right now. And it's an effort to demonstrate that the Republican candidates, if they don't say no that the election wasn't they're either nut jobs or anti-american or anti-democratic as we've heard president biden recently address it so and a good example by the way was before june 28 in the 13th congressional district here we had four republican candidates debating uh, ryan deering was one of them and uh, the news media people who the republicans picked shows their good sense uh started asking this question as if this mattered uh, for who's going to be the best Republican candidate in the 13th district. A good example is how, <clears throat> how about the president's spokeswoman, Corrine Jean-Pierre. Uh, in December 2016, after the uh, Trump election, she tweeted this, stolen emails, stolen drone, stolen elections, welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump, unquote. She also tweeted in 2019, 2019 about the Georgia governor's race, contested by Democrat Stacey Abrams, who did not concede the race. Quote, yes, the race was stolen. And she repeated the claim in 2020, tweeting, quote, remember, Brian Kemp stole the governor election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. Now, here's the question. This is a woman who appears daily uh, as the spokesperson for the president of the United States. How is it that the media... And we're talking about election deniers all the time. How is it the media never raises this question? Well, it did happen. It did happen the other day. Peter Ducey from Fox News yeah. did it. No one, no one from the mainstream media does it. And of course, she said, "Oh, I was waiting for her to answer that, Peter." And that was entirely different. End of end of story. No, no further explanation. But <clears throat> the point is, uh, it's the Democrats, not the Republicans, who were the first election deniers. This goes back to. The Bush versus Gore 2000 election, which was challenged, that was stolen. And 
a lot of people forget about 2004, that uh, <clears throat> the there were 31 members of the House in 2005 who objected on January 6, 2005, to certifying Ohio's Republican electors, which would have turned the election over to John Kerry. One of them was James Clyburn, who was one of the key House members then and still now. And uh, they voted to object to uh, the electoral votes to President George Bush, despite his winning the Buckeye State by 118,000 votes. And <clears throat> it's interesting, the other people who joined in 2005 uh, to challenge that election, House Representative Ed Markey, who is now a senator, Representative Maxine Waters, who's uh, chairman of the Finance Service Committee, Representative Benny Thompson, does that name ring a bell? It should, from Mississippi, because he's chairman of the both the Homeland Security Committee and the January 6th Committee, who's investigating election deniers, among other things. Danny Davis from Chicago, Jan Schakowsky from Illinois, Congresswoman, and even the now deceased civil rights icon John Lewis similarly voted to not accept the electoral votes from uh, Ohio. And what did then-minority leader Nancy Pelosi have to say about all this? Here's the quote. She defended the party's election deniers. She said, quote, the debate is fundamental to our democracy, unquote, and warned Republicans not to, quote, talk about this as a conspiracy theory, unquote, arguing instead it's about the Constitution. Well, just now that was the 2004 election. How about the 2016 election? Are there any Democrat election deniers there? Well, how about Hillary Clinton in 2020? Quote, he is an illegitimate president, unquote. Congressman Jerry Nadler, 2020, he's an illegitimate president. Kamala Harris in 2020, he's an illegitimate president. Marsha Fudge, who is Biden's uh, HUD secretary in 2018, said not legitimate. And then again, Jerry Nadler, though Trump was elected, he is not a legitimate president. Joe Biden in 2020. Quote, I absolutely agree. Trump is an illegitimate president. Jimmy Carter. Quote, Trump lost the 2016 and was put in office because of Russian interference, unquote. Uh, Congressman John Lewis. I don't see the president-elect Trump as a legitimate president. Congressman Jeremy Raskin. Now, who is he? He is one of the leading voices on the January 6th committee, arguing that election deniers are anti-democratic. This is what he said. He objected on the floor of the House to accepting... This is in January 6, 2021, after the Trump election, to accepting electoral votes for Trump because his election was not legitimate. Congresswoman Sharon Jackson, Sheila Jackson Lee. And again, dozens of Democrats still insist that Gore versus Bush uh, was wrongly decided. He wasn't legitimately elected, including Bill Clinton, Terry McAuliffe, Jeremy Raskin, Jesse Jackson, and uh, the... The list just goes on and on. No one from the media ever asks about election denials prior to 2020 mm -hmm. uh, or the, the, that election or, excuse me, the, the, the election of now where we're talking about when Trump claims uh, it was stolen or wrong or whatever. Somehow this is un-American and bad and disgraceful and anti-democratic. But all of these other, since 2000, there hasn't been a Republican election 
which leading Democrats haven't alleged was stolen, illegitimate, or some other problem with it. Hmm. 1033, CBS News coming up next. More on the Queen's uh, processional there and lying in state in Westminster in London. We're with Justice Robert Steigman up until 11 o'clock today on Penny. Ten thirty eight. On a penny for your thoughts. News Talk fourteen hundred and ninety three nine FM. Folks at Busey, things can get unpredictable. Budget for life and reap the rewards with uh, some following tips for graduates: save for retirement, pay off your student loans, and plan for emergencies with proper insurance. Set up a savings account for emergencies only. For couples, understand your financial history. A joint or separate bank account. Your future together. For parents. Your initial expenses, separate emotion from need. Daycare, of course, that could vary depending on location. Education and emergencies. For empty nesters, itemize, categorize, and organize spending habits. I'm in that uh, club now, my wife and I. Prepare for retirement. If you're able, shift your savings toward retirement. Look at long-term care. And for retirees, prepare for health care costs. Decide whether to keep the mortgage or pay off the house. All of those things you can discuss with the folks at Busey. Reach out to them at Busey.com or investment folks or any of the locations in town. 1039. All right. So there's a question for the judge here. How are the same criminals doing the large percentage of the crime in this community keep getting out to do it again? Someone says. Well, I'm not sure that's the case. Uh, I think the prosecutors and judges in Champaign County are really uh, very careful about uh, setting bond with regard to people who are charged with very serious crimes. Uh, I've been, as I've mentioned in the show for over the years, <clears throat> for decades I was involved in setting bonds myself, and uh, one of the things you are always considering is how dangerous is this guy? Now, of course, he's presumed innocent of the charges against him until trial, but we have to consider the evidence presented at a bond hearing uh, how strong is it? How uh, likelihood of conviction? Uh, how dangerous is this guy if he's released? Will he show up? What are his connections to this community? Uh, these are all factors uh, which I was involved in thousands of times, and I think the judges currently are doing a good job of it. Uh, you might sometimes drop the ball. It might be sometimes that <clears throat> someone is charged with a crime that you don't think is as serious as... Uh, uh, well, it isn't as serious as, you know, uh, some other crimes, but then he gets out, is able to raise bond, and gets out and commits a more serious crime. And uh, as I like to say, everyone's crystal ball is uh, not always totally accurate on this, but I, I think for the most part they do a good job. But let mm. me explain. One of the concerns about this so-called Safety Act and eliminating bail bonds is that uh, the judges are going to have a very difficult time of trying to decide, and they're supposedly going to have more hurdles put in their way of keeping people in custody who are dangerous, who are, uh, before the trial, uh, we have to be concerned that they'll be out and doing it again. And an example of this is in Chicago. Uh, Just uh, a week ago, here's a story about a fellow named Willie Barnes, 
He's 37 and remained hospitalized with a gunshot wound to his abdomen. He is charged with attempted murder in Class X armed habitual uh, criminal again. Uh, and he was uh, shot by a concealed carry holder uh, who tried, uh, who uh, said the felon tried to rob him and kill him. Barnes, this is the important point, Barnes is the 30th person accused of killing or shooting or attempting to kill or shoot someone in Chicago while while on bail for a felony this year. Hmm. The alleged crimes involved at least 64 victims, 13 of whom died. There was a demonstration, I think, yesterday in Chicago in the Daily Center Plaza by people demonstrating against primarily Kim Fox, uh, who's the state's attorney of Cook County, uh, challenging uh, her behavior and that she's not tough enough on criminals and not seeking to keep these people in custody. What was interesting is all of the protesters were either black or Hispanic. There were no white folks there. And it's consistent with my experience when I held court up at 26th Street uh, for 11 years in Chicago. And people would say, well, all the criminals on trial there, the alleged criminals are black. And I'd say, not all of them, but that's likely true. But have you ever seen the victims? And the victims were all black. Uh, so it's primarily the black community in Chicago, which is being terrorized by these guys uh, who, like Willie Barnes, uh, are out on bond for some serious crime. It was aggravated aggravated battery and armed habitual criminal. These are real serious charges, and you wonder, how is it possible he's out on bond? <clears throat> and the concern is that Cook County judges and the Cook County prosecutors aren't tough enough. I think here in Champaign County they are, but will the so-called Safety Act, when it becomes effective in January 1, uh, reduce that, make it harder, and will we have a situation like in Chicago? Now, of course, they have a lot greater population, but 64 victims, 13 of whom were killed uh, because someone, while out on ba- bail for a felony, shot them. Pretty shocking stuff. Mm. 1043, a break. Back with more with the judge after this. Back on a penny for your thoughts. Justice Robert Steigman, our guest, up until the top of the hour. Roofs by Roger, been in business. Roger has for 46 years. And you can get some uh, financing if you're looking at a roof that needs to be replaced. You can say, man, that's that's a chunk of change there. Well, they can do some financing for you. Enhanced warranties. They have their website, roofsbyroger, R-O-D-G-E-R.com. If you'd like to check that out, I've got a great video on gutters. You can check that out as well. And... Um, Important to get a good gutter, and they've got a great video to uh, show you how they do that. Again, great people that work in the office. They work with the insurance company, so you don't have to uh, deal with a lot of the technical stuff that the insurance companies have. Residential and commercial free estimates. Give them a call, 217-834-3800. All right, we're going to get back to the phones here in a moment. And the text line, a quick quote from the one of the authors of the Safety Act. Yes, uh, I, I wanted to mention this quote. Representative Justin Slaughter of Chicago, who is one of the key sponsors of the Safety Act, said the following about how it would work. Quote, if this is a violent, dangerous offense, apparently involving someone who's charged, we certainly want to hold offenders accountable, but at the same time we want to have an understanding of the root causes of crime and violence. Uh, This is the kind of muddled thinking that accounts for why 
the Safety Act was pushed through in this fashion that I criticized, uh, <clears throat> when you're the victim of crime and we're dealing with dangerous criminals, you have to deal with that guy right now. The business of uh, we want to have an understanding of the root causes of crime and violence. That's interesting down the road. For it's interesting what, theory. Yes, and for you know what's going to happen in the future and uh, how society needs to be changed or whatever. But it has nothing to do, and it shouldn't be no uh, factor at all in figuring out what do we would do with this guy, who, as he said, we want to hold offenders accountable. Uh, when they're charged with a violent, dangerous offense. So this is this is the kind of thinking that we had hundreds of black folks protesting in the Daily Center yesterday about how, and, and they had pictures of their <clears throat> relatives and family members and other friends who were killed. Uh, you know, you hear about the carnage in Chicago all the time. They've been killed because the... Uh, system is no longer working. Uh, different topics. As I learned, the flags of the Muhammad Village, Muhammad Village offices, fire department, the post office, all at half staff in honor of the queen. This is wrong for so many reasons. I might also add that any more, our flag is down more than it is up, the listener says. I think the president declared a day of mourning, national mourning for the queen, I think is where that's uh, coming from. Honest question. Some or maybe many judges seem quite arrogant, even rude, possibly letting their power get to their head. You, Your Honor, seem quite grounded and level-headed, still able to relate to, quote, commoners. Thank you for that. Are there any things you do or practice to remain sensible? Well, I uh, take phone calls from people on radio stations. Uh, <laughs> no, well, thank you for that. But I, I really, the concerns expressed are really true, uh, which is why it's one has to be so careful on who you're voting for when there's an election, uh, legal ability, uh, a lot of people have legal ability, but uh, it's a matter of temperament, which is really so important. And uh, a judge is really the king or queen of his or her courtroom. There's, uh, there's no break upon uh, the judge. It's your own um, sense of self-discipline and uh, what's appropriate and uh, I see instances, and I'm disturbed by it, where judges have been bullies There's, because it's just mm. terrible. And um, uh, voters have to be very sensitive to that as they're voting on people, and uh, the public has to be sensitive to it. We judges must constantly be aware of the fact that uh, uh, we have a special position. It's an honor. It's, it's, it's a true privilege to serve as a judge. And uh, I'm reminded of one of my great... Uh, one of my friends heard this great remark about judges. He says, you know, when you get to be elected a judge, you'll discover what a, how much funnier a guy you are. You know, your jokes are just so much better and everyone laughs at them. And, and of course, that's part of the phenomenon. And we judges have to be careful to uh, remember. Uh, I, I like to tell the story, Brian, uh, <clears throat> when I go out and speak to the Rotary Clubs and other clubs about, I said, you know, this judging stuff can get uh, go to your head, you know, we, where the black robe. Everybody stands. Everyone stands and addresses your honor. And uh, maybe it's just as well that I get home and my bride of many years looks at me and says, you, the kiddie pad needs to be emptied. <laughs> maybe that's just as well. They say that's true about uh, in the military, the higher up you're ranked, the funnier your jokes get. Yeah, yeah. Is, well, is what my brother says. Yeah, yeah. the same thing applies. <laughs> All right, back in a moment, final segment with the judge. All right, 10.55, and we always seem to need another hour with the judge, but really? uh, we're running up against it here. 
Uh, real quick, it's called context. The people who the judge referred to never conspired to submit alternative electors, talking about the Democrats who denied some of the other elections, didn't give tours to the Capitol the day before an armed insurrection led by the president of the U.S. and other conservative leaders. People in America do have the right to say, tweet, and show their displeasure at the results of an election, but to compare this to what occurred and still is occurring from the results of 2020 is like comparing a thunderstorm to a hurricane. It's called context. Well, I'm not comparing it. I'm just using the term election deniers. Uh, these are people who are election deniers, and somehow that's all forgotten. All right. Uh, and is it true, gentlemen, that Trump will be able to face his accusers at some point, Jane says? Who knows? At first, yeah. he's got to be accused, as opposed to leaks. Yeah. Two other quick things uh, before we get to a couple of final uh, fun stories. One, the seizure of the phones. Uh, Mike Lindell said he was in a, he of course, has been a prominent Trump supporter, said he was in a Hardee's in Minnesota, and he was surrounded suddenly by FBI agents. So what's all that about? I don't know, and it's yeah. scary and dangerous, and uh, here's my advice. Uh, the FBI can seize nothing unless they have a search warrant. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Lindell didn't talk about that, but uh, if I were Mike Lindell or anybody else, then the FBI or anyone comes up and says, give us your phone, the answer should be no. Do you have a search warrant? In which case, I will comply, and if you don't, go away. Hmm. The other thing, Ken Starr passed away. Yes. Um, and uh, Investigated the Clinton uh, Whitewater, and then it led eventually to Monica Lewinsky and everything else. Yeah, I knew Ken Starr as a brilliant judge before all that happened. He, mm-hmm. was, he uh, and Robert Bork were a couple of brilliant people, and I read their decisions, and uh, it's it's a shame. It's uh, He was a guy who was really quite smart. All right. A couple of final fun <clears throat> stories. Here. Yes. Well, here's some um, an advertisement for T-shirts or sweatshirts and for older people to put on, older guys typically. And uh, this is some fun stuff, I thought. Uh, here's one. And this is supposed to be in a sweatshirt. We the people. It doesn't. The Constitution doesn't need to be rewritten. It needs to be reread. Another. My people skills are just fine. It's my tolerance to idiots that merits uh, work or that needs work rather. <laughs> and here's another one. Don't make old people mad. The older we get, the less life in prison is a deterrent. <laughs> and and another one. Yeah. If I said I will fix it, I will. There's no need to remind me every six months. <laughs> uh, and I here's, like those. Here's another one. I never dreamed that one day to become a grumpy old man, but here I am killing it. <laughs> and another one I particularly <laughs> like. It says, "Hey, snowflake! In the real in the real world, you don't get a participation trophy. Not everyone is a winner. There are no safe spaces. No one owes you anything. Crying doesn't solve problems. Nothing is free in this world. People are going to say things you don't like, and you are not special." Hmm. So, all on t-shirts all on t-shirts and just a couple more sometimes I talk to myself then we both laugh and laugh <laughs> uh, so when yeah. is this old enough to know better supposed to kick in another I don't know how to act my age I've never been this old before <laughs> another was built in the 50s original and unrestored some parts still in working order and for fishermen, I rescue fish from water and beer from bottles. And then uh, pop, here's one, Papa, because grandfather is for old guys. 
And another one uh, for a T-shirt. This is not a beer gut. It is protective covering for my rock-hard abs. <laughs> and maybe as a last, you can't scare me. I have two daughters. <laughs> so you know, Those are all good. I, yes, I like those. I like to add it on a funny note. Thank you, sir. Always, Appreciate you being with us. Always great fun, Brian. All right. Thank you. That's Justice Robert Steigman. WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll talk to you tomorrow with Terrence Stuber. The news next at the Tone at 11.